You're listening to Matt Walsh On Demand. In the next 19 seconds, you could sell your home. Okay, it's, I mean, it's not going to sell your home, I mean, this, but it, you're going to take a big step toward getting it sold. Go to realestateagentsitrust.com and find an agent selected by my team, a professional who shares your values and speaks the truth. Sell your home fast and for the most money. Get moving at realestateagentsitrust.com. Well, we've reached the end of the week, which means we go back to the uh, the mailbag and start answering some emails. It was a tough week, too. A gross, a gross, grotesque week in a lot of ways because of the DNC convention. And the very first email has to do with, uh, with that. This is from Hannah. It says, Matt, you're constantly shilling for Republicans and blaming Democrats for everything. Do you really think one is worse than the other? I say they're equally as bad, exclamation point. Yeah, that's me, the GOP shill. That's, I'm that guy. This, this really gets old after a while, doesn't it? If somebody criticizes one party, it's immediately assumed that he's a mindless drone of the other. And, well, I can be accused of many things, many terrible things, many criminal things, in fact. I'm just kidding about that, probably. And some of those things will be true, or somewhat true. But the one thing I cannot be accused of, logically or rationally, is shilling for the GOP. I know that it's much more comfortable and it's easier if you're a Democrat and you hear somebody criticizing the Democrats to say, well, you're just in love with the Republicans. You're a Republican drone. You're a Republican. It's a very easy reaction. It makes things very simple to react that way. But unfortunately with me and with a lot of other people, in fact, that line of attack is not open to you because I have been ruthless in my criticism of the Republican Party. And in fact, I criticize them more often and with more passion precisely because they're supposed to represent my views or approximately my views. So I hold them to a higher standard and I take it more personally when they fail, even though I expect them to fail and they always do. But with the Democrats, I don't expect anything but the worst. Worst. So, so when they do the worst, which is all the time, I talk about it, I observe it, but I'm not as emotionally invested in it because it's exactly what I expect. And the interesting thing is that every time I criticize the GOP, I'm still accused of being a secret agent for the Democrats. And then every time I criticize the Democrats, I'm a hypnotized cult follower of the Republican Party. And it seems to have not occurred to anyone that perhaps I'm just a human being observing the antics of both parties and offering my analysis of them without feeling compelled to be loyal to one or the other. Now, with that said, because I know that, that while we reflexively categorize things this way, we hear criticism of a Democrat, we think, oh, Republican, criticism, criti- criticism of Republicans, oh, that must be a Democrat. We do it that way. But at the same time, most of us also like to claim that we're not beholden to either party and we criticize both of them. You know, we, we all like to say that. And then we'll go and we'll, we'll, we'll go to the extent that Hannah just went to and say, oh, they're equally as bad. They're just as bad. They're two sides of the same coin. Pox on both their houses. Uh, they're, they're both terrible. And they, they both are terrible in different ways. But to pretend that they're equally as bad and that one cannot be singled out as worse than the other is just ridiculous. Because, of course, the Democrats are worse. Of course, they're worse. The Democrats are a lot worse. Here's how it breaks down. The Republican Party... And this election has demonstrated this. 
can so often be stupid, clumsy, inept, cowardly. Um, its faults, which are many, come primarily from the fact that it lies down. It, it lacks the backbone and the wit and the intelligence to fight back. It concedes. It lies on the ground, plays dead. Ironically, it's this impression of the Republican Party that led many people to flock to Trump, mistakenly. And it's this reality of the Republican Party that led many of its leaders to bow to Trump once he did show up on the scene. The Democrats, on the other hand, are more synchronized, more clever, more coordinated. I don't think they're nearly as clumsy. I don't even think they're nearly as stupid. And when I say Democrats, I mean the party, not the individual voters. But the party itself, I think, is much more clever. But it's evil. The Democrat Party is evil. It's at the point now, and I've written about this, has been for quite some time, where you simply cannot be a Christian and a Democrat. You just, those two things don't work. The party itself has become the political expression of Satanism. They say they don't want a theocracy. They, they want to keep religion out of politics. But theirs is a theocracy, the theocracy of Satan worship. They, are, they, they want to establish and maintain a theocracy, a satanic theocracy. There's a lot of evidence for this, of course, but, um, but, but look, just, just look at, at, at how this convention played out. In one night, in one night, Tuesday night, they had Cecil Richards, Lena Dunham, Bill Clinton, and the mother of Michael Brown speak. Okay? If you're keeping track at home, that's a mass murderer, a deviant who admitted to fondling her sister, an alleged serial sexual abuser, and the mother of an attempted cop killer. In one night! And it perfectly encapsulated what the Democrat Party is and has been utterly amoral, completely rejecting any notion of human decency, integrity, the sanctity of life. It openly venerates death, child killing. Uh, it, it moves to fund it, facilitate it. It wages an open war on the family, marriage, gender. It openly encourages violence against police. It openly foments racial division. It openly celebrates deviancy, makes apologies for rapists and molesters. It wants to tear down the fabric of human civilization. Tell us that, that, that even the definition of men, man and woman is up for debate now. That's the Democrat Party. That's just pure evil. Let me ask you, if you're a Christian, do you think Jesus would associate himself with a group like this? Would he be in the audience applauding as Cecil Richards or Bill Clinton gives an address? And no, I didn't, see the, I didn't say that, that Jesus, if he was here, he'd be a Republican. I don't think Jesus came back to earth. He's not going to sign up with any political party. He's, he's, he's much bigger than that. But would Jesus be in the audience applauding as Cecil Richards or Bill Clinton gives an address? I think we all know the answer to that question. And being the sort of person who applauds Cecil Richards or Bill Clinton, that, that is what it means to be a Democrat now. Okay? All right, staying in the realm of politics, unfortunately... If you'll excuse me. Here's an email, actually a Facebook comment from Nathan. And it echoes emails I've received from hundreds of people. It says, good morning, Matt. I wanted to pick your brain about Gary Johnson being a constitutional small government freedom to succeed or fail capitalist, coupled with the fact that the two-party candidates aren't safe for consumption. A vote for Johnson is uh, far more palatable to the point of actively supporting his campaign, except for one thing, his stance on abortion. With Paul and Cruz out of the race, I was giving a serious look at Johnson, but since life and liberty doesn't extend to the womb, I can't, despite him being miles ahead of Trump and Clinton, vote for him. Of two or three evils, choose none, he says. 
Yeah, look, uh, Johnson, Gary Johnson is not the answer. I mean, he's not even a libertarian. He doesn't believe in religious liberty. He sides with the gay lobby and fights between gay activists and Christian Christians. He doesn't believe in rights for, the, for humans in the womb. Uh, he's basically a liberal minus the socialist fiscal policies, which is better than being a liberal, <coughs> including the liberal socialist uh, fiscal policies. So is he better than Hillary and Trump? Yeah, probably. But, but a bowl of maggots would be better than Hillary or Trump, so that's not saying much. He's not pro-life, but if his libertarian convictions are authentic at any level, which I don't know if they are, he would have to appoint constitutionalist judges to the Supreme Court, which would be effectively the same thing as appointing pro-life judges to the Supreme Court. But, but even so, he's not a good candidate. He's not going to win, obviously. So, so what's the point? This is what it comes down to for me. If you're going to say, I'm not going to vote for either of the two major party candidates, which I think is a fine choice. But if you're going to do that, then go and vote for someone you actually believe in. What's the point of registering a protest vote, a a principles vote, with someone who doesn't uphold your principles? That doesn't make any sense at all. So I'm I'm not voting for for Johnson. Here's another one. Matt, what do you think about the NBA pulling the All-Star game out of Charlotte because of North Carolina's bathroom bill? Hadn't heard you comment on it yet. Yeah, I I had not commented on it yet. But I did see this story last week. And um, I'll tell you what. I think about it. And in fact, I'm not going to comment generally, but as I was thinking about this story of the NBA pulling, you know, the all-star game out of Charlotte because North Carolina had the audacity to say that men should pee in rooms with other men. I was thinking about that. Some questions came to mind, questions for the NBA, just to, just to test their, their consistency here. How much do they really believe in the transgender ideology? How much do they really believe in it? How much do they really care about it? And I, I came up with some questions that would test that. And I'm sure that there are uh, high-ranking NBA officials listening to this podcast as we speak. So maybe they'll be able to answer these questions. Number one, NBA, when you gave the All-Star game to Charlotte, there was no law in place allowing men to use the women's room in public buildings. Now there's a law saying they can't, which only codifies the policy that already existed. See, that's the thing. When, when, a, when a law is passed saying that, if men in, in, in uh, public buildings, government buildings, or men and women must be relegated to the bathroom that matches their anatomy, all that does is it codifies, it makes official policies that have existed everywhere in the entire Western civilization since the Victorian era. So if you weren't protesting it then, why are you protesting it now? Why have you suddenly decided that the policy is a problem? Number two, why are you pulling just the all-star game and not the team, the Charlotte Hornets? Is it because you don't care enough about transgender rights to sacrifice the ticket and merchandise sales in that market? I refuse to believe it. Number three, speaking of which, many states with NBA teams do not have laws on the books overturning the traditional men in the men's room, women in the women's room policies that, as I said, were in place everywhere in Western society since the Victorian era era up until approximately last week. So will you be pulling your teams from all of those states? In other words, there are probably now there I think there are 20 25 states in the union that now have laws explicitly on the books saying that uh, a man in a dress can or not even a man in a dress but a man who p- pretends he's a woman can use whatever bathroom he wants anywhere he goes. So there are 20 25 states that have those have those laws on the books. But that leaves 20 to 25 states or 25 to 30. I forgot how many states we have for a second. That leaves actually I'm just bad at math. Geography I'm okay with. <coughs> that leaves 25 to 30 states where 
the archaic, old-fashioned default bathroom policies still exist. So will you be pulling all of your teams from those states? If not, why not? You know, the Transgender Law Center, which is a very esteemed institution and one that I refer to regularly, gives, and I looked this up, gives a low or negative gender identity policy grade. (laughs) Sorry. Gender identity policy grade. That's an actual thing that exists and that someone has come up with. Anyway, they give a lower negative grade to almost half of the states in the union. So will you at least remove the teams and the billions of dollars in profit that go with them from those bigoted transphobic cesspools? If not, why not? Now, Congressman Pittenger of North Carolina pointed out uh, that you're still doing business in China, a country guilty of many human rights violations. Will you be cutting off ties with them immediately? If not, why not? You're also, NBA, going to be hosting two games in Mexico next year, a country where college students and political activists mysteriously go missing. Prisoners are tortured and jailed in inhumane conditions. Women are regularly oppressed and treated as second-class citizens. So will you be dropping your Mexico City games and publicly admonishing the country for its corruption and bigotry and backwardness? If not, why not? But, of course, we know the abuses in China and Mexico are nothing compared to men who visit a DMV in North Carolina being forced to pee in the bathroom with other men. So on that end, I mean, those are the real, that's the real problem. That's where the real human rights uh, crisis comes from. So on that end, are there specific rules in place in every NBA arena in the country explicitly stating that men who think they're women and women who think they're men can use the bathroom of their choice? If so, how long have those policies been in place? If I had gone to an NBA arena in 1997, would I have been allowed to use the women's room? So whenever these laws, these policies were put in place, if they even were, what would you say of the people who ran the NBA back when the legions of transgender NBA fans suffered bathroom-related oppressions in your very own facilities? Were they all bigots? All of the people that ran the NBA up until 18 seconds ago, were they all bigots? And if so, Why haven't you held a press conference to apologize for your years of transphobic tyranny? Next question. The NBA supports, this is a very important question here. Uh, The NBA supports, works closely with, basically owns the WNBA. Most WNBA, WNBA teams are not profitable because almost nobody watches it. So the league would likely not exist without its NBA sugar daddy. My question, can a man who suddenly discovers that he's a woman play in the, M- in the WNBA? Could uh, LeBron James retire from the NBA, go to the WNBA, and score 350 points a game for the next three decades? Could Shaquille O'Neal come out of retirement, put on a sports brawl, and head over to the LA Sparks, where he could dunk the ball 95 times a game and, and dominate the entire league well into his late 80s? Here's a very good question. Can a college athlete, a male college athlete, not talented enough to make it in the NBA, move over to the WNBA? You know, it used to be that they would go uh, play basketball in Europe if they couldn't make it in the NBA. But can they now just go to the um, smaller, sparsely populated stadium next door and play for the WNBA as sort of a farm team? Of course, at which point the NBA washout would promptly become the greatest female basketball player of all time in the history of the world. Can they do that? If not, how can you, NBA, continue to support a league 
that will not respect the gender identity of a transgendered athlete? Will you call upon the WNBA to immediately start drafting biological men? And if they refuse, will you cut off all promotional and financial ties with them, effectively ending its existence, all in the name of tolerance and diversity? If not, why not? Another question. The NBA sends players to compete in the Olympics every four years. The Olympics does actually, rather insanely, allow transgender athletes to compete in their category, male or female, uh, whichever one they choose. So a guy who thinks he's a woman can race against other women in the, in the Olympics now. That's a, that's a policy I think they just put in place of, uh, you know, several months ago. However, they can only compete if they've been taking hormone pills for a certain amount of time and actually living as the opposite sex. But isn't that transphobic? I mean, what if, what if North Carolina amended their law saying that, okay, men can use the women's room, but only if they've been taking hormone pills for 18 months. And by the way, they're going to have to take a test to prove it. And only if they're actually living as a woman and they have to prove that as well. Would liberals find that compromise acceptable? The answer is no, because they would say, who are you to tell a person how their gender should be expressed? Who are you to tell a person that just because he doesn't have the requisite uh, hormones, a man can't be a woman? Who are you to say that? It's very transphobic. It's very offensive. So NBA, will you withdraw from the Olympics, withdraw your players, ban your players from taking part in it until this bigoted and cruel hormone testing system is gotten rid of? But we know the answers to these questions, don't we? It's all hypocrisy. It's all hypocrisy, we understand. And it's, that, it's, it's, it's the inconsistency of liberalism that really just kills me. I hammer on this point all the time, obsessively, consistently. Uh, otherwise, I, I'd be inconsistent in my message of consistency, which I can't do. Because it's become, to my mind, one of the defining features of American discourse. That, that everyone runs around saying things that only apply in one particular circumstance... Uh, whatever circumstance is currently being debated, it only applies there, but they won't apply it at any other point. And, and it, look, everyone does this and does it far too often, liberals and conservatives alike. I think liberals do it more regularly because their positions being wrong are very difficult. And I don't mean difficult in the sense of requiring sacrifice and effort on their part in the sense that I might say it's difficult to apply Christian principles, but difficult in the sense that it all gets pretty confusing and muddled because their principles don't make any sense. And here's the problem. It's impossible to really know if you believe what you say you believe until you've at least attempted to apply those beliefs across the board indiscriminately. So an example, uh, someone, says, uh, someone says, for instance, that they believe humans are destroying the world, ushering in the apocalypse by emitting you know, our various gases, by driving cars and turning on the stove light, so forth. Well... If you really believe that, I mean, if you really believe it, then you would at least attempt to apply it. Apply it. All the time. Not just when it comes to lecturing Republicans for whatever infraction or tweeting angrily about the destruction of, of, of uh, you know, the ozone layer. You would really apply it. And I think here's what you would do if you really believe this. If you really believe it, that, that uh, the whole world is going to be flooded in, in short order because of all the gases we're emitting and all the energy we're using. Here's, here's, look, if I really believe that, I mean, if I really thought, if I got up every morning and thought, we're, we are only days or years away from everything I know being washed away in a great flood like Noah. If I really thought that, um, 
I would, here's what I at least, I would at least attempt doing, whether I could follow through or not or stick to it, I don't know. But I would go out into the wilderness and I would subsist on berries and locusts, make clothing out of ferns that I've stitched together for myself and my wife and my children. And we would live like the, you know, like Tarzan and family out in the, out in the wilderness, which actually doesn't sound like a bad idea given the way the world's going. Regardless, I'm actually thinking about doing this anyway, but not because of global warming. And this would be an application of the principle, the belief, the belief that modern society is literally killing the planet and that by using energy, I am destroying everything around me and that that will lead to the world being flooded under, under 100 feet of water within the next decade or, or what have you. That's what I would do. I, I, that's what I think anyone would do if they really believed it, but they don't really believe it and they don't know that they don't really believe it because they haven't attempted to actually apply it. Now, this is the good part. If you take a principle, a belief, and you start to apply it, and even the most extreme ways, all the way to its most radical extent, if you do that, you start to see that principle more honestly, more clearly. You find out something about it. You see it for what it is. Now, if you retreat at that point, if you try to apply the principle, and then you say, oh, I can't do this. That could mean one of two things. As uh, I think it was Chesterton who said, said of Christianity, it's been tried and found difficult, then left untried. It, it hasn't been tried and found wanting. It's been tried and found difficult and then left untried. So you could, that, that could be what happens. A lot of people that try to, as Chesterton talks about, um, try to apply Christian principles. This is what they discover. That it's difficult it requires effort and sacrifice. It's fulfilling. It's worthwhile. It makes sense. It brings order and harmony to your life and to your mind and to your soul, but it's difficult. And so a lot of people find that out and they retreat and go back to the couch and start you know, watching porn again. So that, that could be one reason why you retreat when you apply your principles. But the second reason is that you could try your principles out and find them wanting, find them insufficient, Find them false, absurd, irrational. Now, if you retreat for the first reason, it doesn't make the principle flawed. It just makes you flawed. And we all are, right? But if you retreat for the second reason, then you got to go find new principles. And now you know. Now you know that you need to find new principles. And that's good. It's good. This is why I advocate consistency. Not that I'm the perfect model for it. I'm not saying that I'm the guy who applies my principles consistently. But because my principles are in line with natural law with reality with scripture if i retreat and i do sometimes or i'm like this is too hard i can't do it it's because i'm weak i'm weak not because the principles don't make sense or are not sufficient they are sufficient they might even bring me joy but the challenge is just too much and i'm too weak and sometimes i say forget it so this is what we should all try to do and i believe that if every liberal did this there would be no liberals left after a while either because they've all starved to death out in the wilderness, which, you know, is one, is one way of solving, solving the problem, or because they say, wow, okay, this is nuts, guys. Never mind. Like, let's forget about this whole liberalism thing. This is crazy. What are we doing? This is insane. It's like trying on shoes. You know, you can't just walk down the aisle at Payless where, uh, where you know, all of the really elite types like myself shop and just see, you know, a pair of uh, sneakers on the, the shelf and say, I'll, I'll take those. You have to put them on and walk around in them for a little bit. 
walk around in them. So when you have principles, you can't just select them off the shelf because they look you know, nice and shiny and flashy and trendy. You have to put them on and walk, walk around in those principles a little bit. Walk around a little bit. See, try them on for size. See if they actually hold up. And don't just walk on carpet. Walk uh, gravel and grass and snow and everything. See if they hold up. Because if they don't, then you got to find new ones. And liberal gender theory is a perfect example of this. Practically no liberal actually lives. I mean, really goes out into the world and functions on a daily basis as someone who really believes that men and women effectively don't exist and that to classify men and women into their gender groups is transphobic and bigoted. They all say this, but how many of them actually live day to day as if that were true? You take these companies like the NBA that suddenly discover suddenly discover that transgenderism is a thing and uh, transgenders are a victim group that have to be protected and so on and so forth. But do they actually apply that principle? Anything, in, in anything that could be remotely described as a consistent way? No, they don't. They don't. Practically none of them actually really believe this transgender stuff or have pondered the full implications of this half-assed belief of theirs. And if they tried to, if the NBA tried to apply it you know, consistently in all the ways that I've just discussed, it would destroy itself overnight. And if anyone tried to, any individual person, they would not be able to function in society. Like if you were actually the sort of person where someone comes to you and says, oh, I'm pregnant, I'm having a boy. And you say, well, boy, what is this boy of which you speak? I don't know what a boy is. What's a boy? I don't even have any idea. No, there's no such thing as a boy. How do you? Nobody thinks that way. Nobody does. You might, they might pretend they do, but they don't actually. They haven't really attempted to assume that mentality on a day-by-day, hourly-by-hourly, practical uh, sort of level. And that's how you know that liberalism is bunk. Because it cannot be lived. And if a principle cannot be lived, then it cannot be true. One more. Uh, this is from Brian. He says, Matt, I heard you uh, mention you were watching Stranger Things on Netflix. What did you think of it? My wife and I are thinking of starting the series this weekend. Would value your input. Yeah, I did watch the show. Uh, If you're not familiar, it's a series on Netflix that's getting a lot of buzz, as the kids would say. It's kind of a sci-fi thriller set in the 80s, borrowing liberally in terms of theme and tone from some 80s era, Spielberg and Stephen King. Critically acclaimed. uh, They're already planning a second season. And here's my review. I liked it. Okay, I liked it. It's not the best TV show of all time. Not even the best TV show this year. But it's not really trying to be. And, and I like that. I like it when a show or a film knows what it is and then sort of stays in that lane and seeks to elevate itself within that, those parameters and deliver something quality. Okay. In other words, uh, let's take another show that aired this year. The Americans on FX. A drama about a pair of Russian spies living in America during the Cold War. And I think it's the best show on TV right now. Uh, Brilliantly acted, scripted, slow burning, but very tense. It delivers moments of substance and heft. It deals with big themes and it has something to say. It's, It's just a brilliant show for adults. Though the sexual content is more gratuitous at times than it needs to be. Although the one mitigating factor, even with that, the sexual content, is that it's part of the moral dilemma of the show. They, de- they don't just show it. They don't just, it's not like Game of Thrones where they just, okay, here's some naked people having sex. Um, they, there's, a, there's a reason for it. They, they deal, and they deal with the reason. It's part of the morality of the show and part of the moral message. And in fact, some of the toughest, most affecting scenes in the show are not when the, the protagonists 
are ordered to go and kill somebody to do a hit, which, which does happen. But that's not even the most gut-wrenching part. Um, the most gut-wrenching scenes are when they're called, as they are on several occasions, to use sex to exploit or manipulate, to get information out of someone, to you know, turn somebody into, a, into an asset. And the show deals with that, not to glorify it, but really to show this conflict between morality and mission, between their soul and their country. So anyway, uh, a show like Stranger Things isn't like that, and it doesn't try to be. It's a little, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's silly, it's kid-friendly, though for older kids, but it's a fun show, a lighter show, while at the same time delivering great acting, great storytelling, a great script. So within the confines of what it's trying to be, without trying to be The Americans or The Wire or Breaking Bad and Sopranos, it manages to, to deliver solid quality, and I like that. So I'll give that two thumbs up. Go ahead, go ahead and check it out. All right, that's going to do it for me. I'll talk to you guys next week. Akruche Salus. Godspeed, everybody.